started. And uh, welcome everybody to the show. I'm here with Amanda Curtis, who is uh, in Butte. We're actually at her house in Butte, which is lovely. It looks over the entire city um, from right by the pit. Butte's the only spot in the world where the poor people have the view. <laughs> That's awesome. So um, Amanda is running for House District 76, and you kind of announced, like, out of the blue. I got an email from you, and it's like, ta-da, I'm running. <laughs> well, um, I always thought that I would run at the end of my career, maybe after I retired from teaching, I would go to Helena and serve. I really consider it a service project. And um, they were looking for members of our union to run in Butte. And when they asked around, do we know any teachers that are interested? Someone threw me under the bus. I think it was Mike Kiaba. <laughs> said, Amanda Curtis will do it because I had told him that someday I think I would like to run for legislature. Uh, so. He must have just heard you wrong and thought it was Sunday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Things don't always happen in the order that you think they're going to, so here we are. Oh, well, that's cool. Yeah. So um, you're a teacher and you teach middle school? I'm at the high school, Butte ah. High. I teach geometry and algebra. Everybody, yeah, she's a math teacher, don't mess with her. <laughs> she does know how to calculate your death. Um, and, but you taught at middle school, so you did teach at Helena for a while mm-hmm. in the, at HMS. I taught eighth grade in Helena for three years. And so you've made the drive back and forth a lot, because you were still living here. I, I got the job in Helena um, because, well, I, I taught at Central for two years, and the job in Helena came open, and it was literally double my salary at Central. And wow. Helena has a great reputation in the state. Um, it's got great schools. It's got a great school system. It pays its teachers well. Um, its teachers have a lot of autonomy, and it's kind of the Shangri-La of education. Or so I thought. Um, it, I'm not saying anything negative about Helena schools, but when I ca- actually did get a job in Butte, I realized... Helena doesn't have anything on us. We really have a great <laughs> education system also. So the impetus to to work in Helena was double the salary. And I really didn't want to give up my connection to Butte. I'm a Butte person. I wanted to live in this community and be a part of this community. And my goal was still to eventually get a job in the Butte school system. So I found a great carpool partner. She teaches Montessori. Um, Helena has Montessori in their public school, so she teaches Montessori at a public school in Helena, and she and I drove back and forth to Helena every single day for 190 days of the year, and we just took turns every other day. That's Um, astounding. I've done the drive, and this is the second time this week that I've actually been to Butte, and it's such a horrible road. (laughs) I mean, it's the middle of a lovely day. It is. It's like 42 degrees the whole way, didn't even get... It wasn't even freezing on the pass, and it's still such a miserable road. <laughs> it was always half bad. It seems like it would either be good until Boulder, and then terrifying after that, or it would be terrifying until Boulder, and then great after that. <laughs> it's the Boulder line. <laughs> the hot springs divide. The Something, weather between right. crap and lovely. <laughs> um, so you've been a teacher for a while, and, then, and you've always been interested in politics. Why aren't you teaching government? I mean, you're teaching math. Which is far more complex, and some of us don't do well at it. I don't think anything's more complex than government. 
Math has rules, right? We stick to the rules. Someone has rules, mostly applied in arbitrary fashion. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's a lot going on, obviously, leading up to making the decision that you're actually going to run, no matter how much anybody else is trying to pressure you into it. So what was going through your mind when people were like, no, you should really run? Was it just a matter of accepting it and going, yeah, okay, now is the time? Or was it a little more... You know, I first moved to Butte because my dad was, was is, he's a laborer, and he was building the ASME plant. And so he was here as a laborer building ASME, and I had just graduated from high school. I moved to Butte to be near him and to go to a good school. And um, both of my parents have their GEDs. They, uh, my mom's a waitress and a housekeeper. My dad was a laborer from his from the time he dropped out of high school. And education was always really, really important to me. I remember, I don't remember, but my parents remember me asking them as a kindergartner how they were ever going to be able to find the money to send me to college. And so that was always in the back of my mind uh, that I was college-bound. I'm the first member in my family to graduate from college. Tech's a great school. Um, Tech is a very good school. Yeah. Uh, Despite the little grade thing that happened recently, which only affected some foreign students, Mm, they are not a diploma factory, so... I I really thought that I would do med school. And so I entered the biology department here with my eye on pre-med. And while I was going to school, I met Kevin, who's now my husband, and told him, don't get too attached to me because I'm only going to be in Butte for, you know, two to four years. I'm going to go on to med school. I'm going to do the Peace Corps. What college student doesn't think that they're going to do the Peace Corps? <laughs> you know, I'm going, I really, I really have always had my eye on service. At that time, it was service on a global level. And he, I remember, you know, he's smart and he wanted this girl to stay with him. And he said, why do you have to leave your community to make a difference? Why can't you focus on what's going on here in your community and in your neighborhood and find service projects here? And it was this epiphany for me that I, I could make a difference in the world by staying in one place. And it, uh, instead of going into med school, I decided that I would like to be a teacher. Mm. So that's how we ended up. Significant drop in salary. <laughs> <laughs> Much higher quality of living as far as I'm concerned. Oh, I think, yeah, definitely. I think that my yeah, happiness rating is through the roof compared to what it would be as a doctor. So that's cool. Um, it, well, And I met you, what's funny is I met you through working on uh, live sports production. So I know that you're exceedingly capable with machinery and computers <laughs> that um, Carl Kaufman has to resurrect every week from the dead. <laughs> you know, so you've got a lot of really good skills and you're going into this, it sounds like you've got your eyes open, you know what you're heading into. A fire yeah. is a, a good description. Um, so what is it that you, you know, what are your, the core projects that you're hoping to do? What, what are the ideas, ideals that really, um, you know, make your heart sing? Because I come from such a working class fam- family, workers are always close to my heart. Um, growing up, we had our water turned off a lot. We had our electricity turned off a lot. You know, I'm, I'm from a family that had a hard time paying its bills. But I was always able to go get glasses. I was always able to go to the dentist. Um, I was always able to go get an antibiotic if I had strep throat. And that perk 
came because my dad was in the laborers union. And so union issues are always really close to my heart. I'm always on the side of the worker. Um, so that being said, I do actually have a probably long laundry list of issues that are close to my heart. The, the, the legislature failed to pass the state employee pay plan in the last session, which is unheard of because now our state employees have no collective bargaining. Always in our history, our state employees have bargained with the governor. And yeah, um, the, I have my own issue with this. <laughs> um, and and I, I don't have an issue with the, the unions or the governor or, or the legislature particularly, which is kind of odd because everybody thinks, well, how can you not have an issue with one side or the other? I have my issues with the governor's office. I don't, I honestly don't understand why the governor's office was ever involved. I know it's traditional that he has been involved, but it's not the governor's role to decide how money is spent ever. His role is to make sure that it gets spent, the programs get done, laws get enforced. That's what the executive does. So I always wondered why he was at the negotiating table instead of a legislative committee. And that's what drove me nuts, because the entire time last year, everybody was talking about, well, the governor agreed to this. It's not his place. It's absolutely not his place. And I would hope that we can get that little wrinkle in our constitution you know, ironed out so people could read it and figure well, it out. Well, they're using a loophole that's never been used before, and so it's going to have to get ironed out because our state employees deserve a pay raise. Absolutely. We had the money for it, and if they're not bargaining with the governor, they need to bargain with someone before well, need, it ever goes into the legislature. Well, no, I think it needs to be a standing legislative committee that, that really does this because our public employees, the reason we have them is because we need them. You know, we have public works projects because we need to have roads, we need to have water, we need to have clean air, we need to make sure that electrical companies aren't, uh, you know, turning into cell phone companies and going into the ground on a regular basis. Um, those things are needed, and those people should be paid well. They, you know, there's very few state workers that I, or, or public employees of any caliber that I've ever met that have abuse the rules. I know there's that stereotype of the union worker who, I can't do that, I'm not in that union. You have to get the light bulb screwers union to do this. Um, and that drives me nuts because I've never actually met those people. I met the people that have gone out of their way. You know, they, they'll stay an extra 20 minutes at the DMV because you showed up at, you know, 10 to 5 and you need to get your license that day. They'll generally help you out. They aren't dicks. So... <laughs> Yeah. You're gonna have to edit that. No, no, I can say dicks. It's on the FCC rules, um, <laughs> you know. And and I think it's important that yeah, it does get it does get ironed out. But I think the right people need to be involved, and it's a legislative decision. Therefore, they're the ones who should have been at the table. Yeah. So continuing on and my list of you. issues, hopefully, <laughs> I would be a great person to bargain with. Why is that? <laughs> Because I believe in workers' rights. I believe in, in giving a living wage. I believe in giving a raise based on the cost of living increase. I believe in letting people have insurance so that, the, so that they can go to the doctor. And I believe that there is a way to fund it, especially when you have a huge surplus. So <laughs> I'm totally on the side of our state employees. <laughs> um, we've had several issues with teacher tenure. Um, that's also an issue that's close to my heart. I think there's a lot of um, problems with just the, the public being educated about what tenure is. I think that there's this misconception 
that tenure protects bad teachers. Yeah, that's the it's the same sort of thing, you know, that uh, once they get tenured in that they uh, don't have to do anything and they can yell at kids and they're not teaching and they're horrible people and they're just coasting off the system. And that's why young teachers leave. No, young teachers leave because they're getting paid $12,000 a year. Oh, and it's such a hard job and it's so heartbreaking. Teaching is really a profession where you see every social ill wrapped up in one work day. I see kids who don't have a home. I see kids who didn't have breakfast. I see kids who uh, have parents with alcohol and, and, and substance abuse issues. It's really, it's really the culmination of anything that could go wrong in our society. You see little bits and pieces of it in, in every one of your students. It really hits home what needs to be fixed. So anyway, back to teacher tenure. Um, people have this misconception that it protects bad teachers, and teachers are one of the only professions um, in which you can be fired without cause in your first three years. In every other job, they have to have a reason to let you go. After you have tenure, you have to have a reason to be let go. I think that's pretty reasonable. Yeah, that's pretty normal. Normally, everybody just has 90 days. <laughs> we have three years. So. Three years? I can't keep my nose clean for three years. <laughs> the public employees retirement system and the teachers retirement system have some issues and that's going to be and that's going to be a concern in the next legislature how to fund those. Some adjustments are going to have to be made. Um, and I'm looking forward to working on that project. I have been a teacher for eight years now. Two of those were in a private school, so I have five years into the teacher's retirement system. And when I, you know, when I'm in the the teacher's lounge at lunch and talking to my my colleagues, everyone's concerned about the retirement system. And I'm really honored that I get to be the person that goes and helps make those decisions. Well, very cool. So. Um... You've got those that are going, you know, the, the, the two major ones. What sort of little things that just drive you batty? Do you just want to go in and fix with one bell? Oh, I don't think any of it's little. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing little. It's all major things. Oh, you're, I'm so... You're pushing mountains up mountains. Is that what it this is? It is. It's, it's, what is it, Sisyphean? Yeah. <laughs> just the boulder up the hill. That's right. The eagle knocks down. <laughs> boulder up the hill. Sisyphean. Yeah. Sisyphus. So. And mm, for those of you who did not catch what just happened, we had a math teacher give you mythology. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I'm in it to protect our constitution. Montana's got a strong constitution. To protect our seniors and our children, our workers, our veterans. Veterans need access to health care. Um, and it shouldn't be so hard for them to get it. Uh, I'm here to protect and to grant access to higher education. You know, all of my neighbors want to be able to feed, clothe, educate, and insure their kids. That's pretty basic, and you need, you need a good job to be able to do that. Yep. So Butte is actually an interesting study in, you know, uh, a community that almost died, um, and uh, has kind of come back from the brink. It's doing some new things. What is it that, uh, what do you see in Butte that just absolutely makes your day? Aside from the view. <laughs> this is gorgeous. It's the people. It's hands down the people. I didn't know that I was a Butte person. Um, were, wait a minute, let's back up. Where are you from? Billings. 
Okay, so you, Central or West? Skyview. Or Skyview or West, I'm sorry. There's Skyview, Senior, West, and Central. There's four high schools there? No mm-hmm. wonder I hate that town. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> sorry to all my friends in Billings. Two. Um, <laughs> you went to Skyview? Skyview. And yeah. you graduated in? 97. Oh, wow. Oh, you're just a young one. <laughs> I'm uh, not as young as your next guest. <laughs> uh, that's true. Um, I don't, you know, poor kid. Uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, we'll tell you who that is in the next episode. Um, so, and then you moved here because your parents were here. What did you think about Butte when you were growing up in Billings? I didn't, I mean, I was in high school. I moved to Butte as soon as I graduated from high school. I, I literally had a garage sale, sold all of my belongings and left Billings. And uh, I, is that because you love Butte or hate Billings? <laughs> I, I didn't know that I loved Butte. My dad was here. Um, my dad was here, and there was a good school, and I needed to go to school. And because I was the first one in my family to ever embark on such an adventure, it was really just playing the cards that I was dealt more than it was any kind of a strategy. And it it didn't take long for me to realize that that Butte's. 15 minutes away from rock climbing and 15 minutes away from mountain biking and 15 minutes away from cross-country skiing. We've got the Continental Divide going through town. I didn't do any of those things in high school, but I learned how to do them in Butte, you know? And no one in Butte judges you on the kind of car you drive or what, how big of a house you live in. They're just real people here. And I didn't realize that I was a Butte person until I had probably been here for two or three years, and then I realized, just try getting me out of this place. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had to, you know, some people are lucky enough to have been born in Butte, but their parents had to immigrate here so they could be born in Butte. Uh-huh. I had to immigrate to Butte so that my kids could be born in Butte. Uh, <laughs> of which you have none, none yet. No, not no, blessed with any kids yet. No. Except for all the seven billion they've been teaching at school. That's right. I've, <laughs> I think I've taught a thousand kids. That's amazing. So it's 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 pretty interesting that you've gone from you make a difference in these people's lives every day. I mean, granted they're kids, but they are people too, and uh, you try to reach out to them, give them an education, support them, and all of the things that a good teacher does, and. Uh, now you're willing to sacrifice a little bit of that to try to make a difference on the state level, but you're really stepping into um, what could be very easily a pit of vipers, <laughs> like it's, we had last time. So, are you ready for this? I am not ready for this at all. <laughs> I am terrified. And um, uh, Pat Noonan, on the day that we all announced, we all announced our candidacies together. Pat said, um, "You know." It's great that you're doing this, but you should just always be really, really, really thankful that you didn't serve in the last legislature. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. There's... I love Pat. He's a kick. <laughs> so I am petrified. Um, I'm going to learn a lot. The folks who are listening to this are, are hearing a citizen legislator, heavy on the citizen, light on the legislator. So, but you understand, you understand the concepts, you know how bills are done, you saw what actually went on, and you were in, you were actually working as a teacher in Helena, not last session, but the session before, yeah? That's right. So, you saw the last of what could really be called our sane sessions in in this governorship, and certainly, um, were, were there concerns at that point? 
in... You know, I didn't really... Or did you just not pay attention because it wasn't... I didn't pay attention. It wasn't attention. as big. I was guilty of, um, of kind of some apathy where you're a union member, you have a pretty good life, everyone in Holland is going to take care of it for you, and uh, I, if you would have asked me any of the bills that were going through, I, I wouldn't have been able to talk about any of them. Um, and... I wasn't able to attend union meetings in Helena because I drove back and forth to Butte. And so when I got the job in Butte, the very first union meeting that they have every year is a welcome for the new teachers. And that was so much a part of my life growing up. I, I would hear my dad talking about what happened at his and you know we would arrange our schedules so that he could attend. Like I said, we had our insurance because he was a laborer. Um, I went to that first union meeting thinking every single teacher in Butte would be at the union meeting. And I was surprised that there were between 20 and 30. And so there are lots of opportunities to help. And one of the jobs that came open, jobs with air quotes, you know, volunteer Oh, I don't positions. have the sound effect. Right. <laughs> uh, one of the things that needed to be done was to be... Uh, Oh, a liaison between the Butte Teachers Union and MEAMFT in general and a, a particular legislator. And so they, they asked if anyone wanted to do that. I was really completely uneducated about what goes on in Helena and... and, and madness. <laughs> pure, <laughs> unadulterated madness. <laughs> and the job description was, you know, educate yourself about what's going on and and contact one particular legislator or as many as you would like to um, via email, phone call, all the different ways that you can contact them through a page, if you will, and uh, and let them know what your opinion is. I thought, oh, I'm really good at giving opinions. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, in the last session, that was, that was the first time that I really followed the bills and I really saw how... Of course, the last session, I don't think it was a normal session, but that was my introduction to God, what happens one, in Helena. And yeah, one would hope it's not going to be normal. I, I really, that's what we're going to continue with, it's going to be nightmare. I, I've always seen the bumper sticker, if you're not pissed off, you're not paying attention. Uh-huh. And it so hit home with me. <laughs> oh no, the legislature could be si- summed up with a bumper sticker. That's great. <laughs> Several. It would take several. Uh, okay, so one bumper, lots of stickers. Yeah. <laughs> so that's cool. Um, so you're going to go into this. You're brand new. You don't have, other than the union stuff, you really don't have a civic leadership background. Um, what's it like having to go out and introduce people and introduce yourself to people and say, you know, I'm running for office. I'd like you to support me. How's that going for you? It's so rewarding. I have had so much support and I'm I always want to talk to everyone I meet I'm the person in the grocery store who will like talk to you about what you're buying or what's on the front of the magazine just because I, really, <laughs> <laughs> I like that human interaction and um, now I have a platform for it I have an excuse to talk to every stranger that I meet um, I have an excuse to talk to every single neighbor that I have and so I'm really appreciative of that um, 
that's why I'm in Butte, right? For that human connection. I said the people are the, the thing that I like about Butte. And now I have a legitimate reason to bother every single one of them. <laughs> <laughs> and so you live, we're up on the hill, and um, there's the new little grocery store that you showed me, which was delightful, Hennessy's. And as we walked in, like four people knew you. It was like, <laughs> cute. Yeah. hi. Um, that was very cool. Uh, is that how it is all over town, or is it just in your area, or...? I think Butte's like that in general. You know, I've been here long enough. I've I've taught these people's kids. I work with them. I I um, I go to their businesses. We're we're all a community. We're Butte's heavy on the community. Um, and there were times when I when I in the first maybe five years that I lived here, and even when I met Kevin, and we were starting our life together, that we would kind of get down and depressed. I think how everyone does in the winter. And we realized that when we were feeling that way, all we needed needed to do was either go to Gamers or f- the freeway. And you would inevitably run into someone, not only that you knew, but that was happy to see you. It's like cheers, right? You walk in the door. <laughs> Everybody and, knows your name. Right. Someone's happy to see you. And you just, you can never give that up. No, for the people that aren't from Butte like me, the freeway, I immediately went, what are you doing on I-15? <laughs> <laughs> oh, um... So, <laughs> Muzz and Stan's Freeway Tavern is uh, okay. yeah right off the, at, off the freeway. Yeah, you can get a four pieces of chicken for like three dollars. Yeah, and, awesome. and JoJo's. <laughs> and JoJo's. Oh, Montana food. <laughs> now, now the best Montana food in the whole world, the one that everybody has to have if you ever make it to Butte. If you're doing a road trip and you want to see Butte, America, you have to go for pork chop Johns. I'm a wop chop person. Really? That's at the freeway, yeah. But the, it's a pork chop sandwich. Yeah, Some would say it's the original pork chop sandwich, but I certainly don't but, want to offend any of my constituents over, <laughs> over that issue. That is something that Eat we would get Eat your pork chops wherever you want. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. As long as they're tasty, that's what Yeah. So that's awesome. Um, so you're going to, I guess, and, and now how is this going to work for you? Provided you get elected, which one would hope you're going to be. Oh, you're I Because actually am. going to be a great uh, representative by far. Are you going to, uh, I would assume you're going to get a place in Helena and not do the drive again all the time, even though Butte is only 63 miles away. Um, just because, I mean, last legislature, legislation, blah, 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 excuse me, last session was, um, contentious, but it really didn't involve a lot more hours. They were more stressful hours, but it didn't involve a lot more. And it's still, it's basically 14, 16 hour days, uh, six days a week. So, going to have to give up the living in Butte a little bit, or are you going to try to just commute back and forth? I don't even want to talk about this. It makes, <laughs> us, it makes me so sad to think about it. I love my job more than anyone on earth loves their job. You get to keep and your job. I you? do, but I'm going to be out of my classroom for 90 school days. And I take an unpaid leave of absence from my job, and I can... I think Butte's actually the closest community where you can you can get paid mileage to go back and forth, so I could do that, but it seems excessive, and the road is hard, and oh, it's just depressing to think that I'm not going to be in Butte. I don't, I'll cross that bridge when I get there. <laughs> I've had several offers of places to stay, teachers that I know in, in Helena and other legislators in Butte who have offered to share their places to live with me. Um, so 
We're just going to worry about the primary election first. Okay, so what's going on with the primary election? I have... Who else is running against you? Um, oh, I don't know. Some guy named Doug that doesn't live in the district. <laughs> How does that work? Uh, in, in Montana... In as, Mont- I as, thought you could only run if in a district you didn't live in if nobody else was registered. If In Montana, if the district is entirely within the county bounds... Right. You do not have to live in the district as long as you live in the county. Ah. All of Butte's four districts are within Silver Bowl County. Mm-hmm. So, um, you can live in any district. That's right. My opponent lives on the flats and is running as a Democrat um, in, the, in the uptown district. So redistricting is going to happen in this next session. That'll be really interesting. Uh, the redistricting is more than likely going to put Butte's four districts outside of county lines. So after that happens, you'd have to live. In you the would district. have to live in the district. Hmm. Interesting. So um, who else? Okay, you know this is the whole political machine, and I'm not good at this because I'm so. Um, what's the nice word to put it? Bombastic. Um, I don't deal well with other people telling me what to do. Hmm. Shocking. But so you do I, is that a problem? <laughs> um I, I don't know. I would I would assume so because people are like, No, you need to do this and I raise certain appendages and leave. So <laughs> I'll let you know how that works out for me. <laughs> That'll be delightful. <laughs> so you've got uh you guys all announced and is there like a core crew? Are they have they taken you under their wing? Did you be like, you know, we need to do this, we need to start fundraising, you know, get Ab- a postcard together, that sort of stuff. Oh, absolutely. Um I think that I'm, I don't know, breaking a glass ceiling of sorts because people really think that running for office is something that's unattainable and you have to be really, really special to do. And granted, I am pretty special. Um, (laughs) She is. Don't argue. (laughs) uh, You know, any citizen can do this. That's one of the great things about Montana is we truly have a citizen legislature. So I attended a, a candidate training in Billings that was hosted by several different groups, and they led you through A to Z of how to campaign. Uh, The Democrats, the State Democratic Party, also hosted a training just a couple of weeks ago. In Bozeman? Mm-hmm. The grassroots, yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, Emily's List, dedicated to electing uh, progressive pro-choice women, Mm. also held a training in Helena. So I've been to... Oh, 30, 40 hours of training on just how to run a campaign. Um, That's impressive. It's. I know lots of people that ran campaigns last time that didn't do 30, 40 hours of anything. <laughs> some of them got elected. So. It's true. Um, and look at where that led us. Uh, <laughs> so I really, I have gained, a, I, I'm, a, I'm a great supporter of education in all aspects, and I have really educated myself on how to campaign. And um, it goes from being this mythical, magical idea to nuts and bolts. This is how you do it. First do this, next do this. And it's very scientific. I'm trained in science. I can follow the scientific method. And it it really suits me. I can do this. I'm going to win. Very cool. That's what we like to hear. (laughs) I like to hear competent people be confident in themselves. Um, You've got... Uh, let's see, the primaries are in June, mm-hmm. so we've got, uh, let's see, it's February, yes, March, April, May, three, three months, mm-hmm. and 
three months and two of those months are still cold um, and covered in what can only be described as snow. <laughs> <laughs> um, so how do you do the door-to-door stuff? Or are you just, um, is it more casual? Is it when you're out and about, you just go meet people? It's everything all the time. I thought being a teacher was a public office because you run into your students' parents and people that you work with everywhere you go. But um, running for an, an actual elected office is a whole nother level. So I absolutely am, am asking people now, do you live uptown or do you live on the flats? Because I want to know if they're a voter. But I will strategically hit every door of every registered voter and ask them, will you please vote for me? Um, we have a, a really well-known Senator Williams. Pat Williams tells a great story about a man who lost his election and is really crabby and his neighbor next door says, uh, who, whose walks he has shoveled his entire life, um, you know, the morning after the election, says, oh, sorry, you know, how are you? And sorry about that. He says, uh, he says, yeah, but you voted for me, didn't you? And his neighbor says, well, no, I didn't vote for you. You never asked me. So that's a terrible <laughs> version of the story. Pat tells it way better than I do. Well, hopefully but... I can get him on the show and have him, <laughs> yeah. him elucidate. Yeah, he's story. a great storyteller. So anyway, I'll be, I ask people, you never assume. You ask every single person that's a voter, can I really, truly count on you to put your mark next to my name on that ballot? It's an interesting little situation we're in. Very cool. So as you're out meeting people, are they telling you what they're concerned with? Are, are you coming across issues that you didn't even know about? That, um, Or is it pretty much what you expected and like some ancillary stuff that's related that you just, you know, you'd get to eventually anyway? You know, I find that I'm not normal. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Honey, you're one of my friends. That's not what we were expecting anyway. <laughs> yeah. I'm not and, normal and, because I know what kind of bills are coming up. I have been following it at least for the last couple of years. And there are a few people in in my neighborhood that are like me and are not normal. But I think the general population doesn't realize what's at stake. And so when I talk to people, they know that they're worried about their retirement and they know that they're worried about how they're going to get their kids through college. And they know that they're worried about the cost of insurance and healthcare. So they know what their concerns are. But as far as a specific bill or a piece of legislation, I don't get a lot of that. So, um, speaking of healthcare and things that are going on, do you want to talk about any of the stuff that's happened nationally, or do you want to avoid those? (laughs) (laughs) And it's totally your call, because I I don't want, like I've told everybody, I don't want this to be a gotcha thing. There's just, Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes people want to talk about those issues, and this week was really interesting to me, um, with the contraceptive, the thing that happened yesterday where the GOP Mm -hmm. wouldn't let a woman talk about contraception. I'm like, really? Yeah. This is... I'm, I'm gay. I don't even have to be involved in this discussion. I recognize that's wrong. <laughs> this is black and white to me. Um, I, women need access to contraception. And, and I am absolutely on the side that says that it should be paid for. I really think that, that especially young women um, don't use the birth control pill because they can't afford it. It's $30 a month. 
and uh, the number one indica- the number one indicator that a woman is gonna move from the if you want to talk about classes the lower class to the middle class is if she can gain an education and refrain from having children by the age of, until the age of twenty four. That is a proven statistics that's out there. And why wouldn't you help women control their lives until at least the age of 24? Give them a fighting chance. Let them get their feet under them. It just is senseless to me that, that we wouldn't help the people who have the hardest time affording it have birth control. It's absolutely a black and white issue. Yeah. And, and now the, the other side of that is education, of course. And in Montana, we've had our education costs, especially at the university, skyrocket, literally. And the, the graph on the cost has gone wacky. Public schools are starting to look like Carroll College. And uh, I've asked, and apparently I've not asked the right people because I can't get an answer as to what we're spending the money on. You know, because it can't be the buildings. We're not paying property taxes on them. They're publicly owned. I don't get it. It's power. Where's it going? To the power company. Oh, you mean like electricity? Yes. I literally mean that the number one and two costs of public education are our power bills and our staff. So, too much overhead and too much overhead. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. That's amazing. It never even occurred to me that the power bill would be... Yeah, that's deregulation. Wow. That's amazing. I mean, cut and dried. So it yeah, costs, it costs tens of thousands of dollars a month, a month, for a public school building to have heat and electricity. That's astounding. I know that. Um, I do know one fact, and this may not be that impressive to you. You probably already know this, but I know that the the largest profits in textbooks are made by UPS and FedEx. The largest profits in mm-hmm. textbooks? Most of the money spent on textbooks, the, all, of all the money that's spent on textbooks, most of it is profits to UPS and FedEx. Are you sure? Positive. The cost to ship them across the country after they've been printed is outrageous because they all weigh 304 pounds. Well, yeah, that's, that's an, an impressive figure. I know um, we just recently purchased new textbooks in the math department at Butte High, and each book is over $100. Oh, yeah. I mean, they literally cost as much as a college text. With that, we get online access, but they still ship the book to us, so I don't... That's interesting. Yeah, and so... Uh, it's interesting. I, I think that, you know, if we start to embrace a little more technology, I, and I'm a huge nerd <laughs> that's, no that's the nice way of putting it <laughs> um but like uh, apple did their announcement with um the ibooks author and how you can make your own textbook and i kind of checked it out to see what it was about and how it worked and it's pretty impressive and the fact that you know i've got my ipad here and i could put in here all the books that i've ever used in any part of my education from kindergarten all the way through college and it would fit in something that weighs you know two pounds <laughs> That's astounding to me, and I can't wait until every student has that because that would be just, you know, I remember, nah, we shouldn't get into it, I don't need to get into my own story, but I do like, you know, when I was in school, 
it's more fun to learn the things that are interesting to you and how they tie into the curricula that has to be taught. And I was always that kid off wandering through the history books when I should have been paying attention in math. But uh, now I'm the kid who, uh, when I go back and volunteer at the high school, I'm teaching the drama kids, but I'm teaching them about the physics of light because I'm teaching them how to mix gels to make new colors and what angles they should go at so that they bounce the shadows right. So, you know, there's all sorts of things that you can do to tie it in. But it takes a level of curiosity, and I think the technology helps keep them curious. It's, I completely agree, and it's so hard because it's an access issue. Mm-hmm. You know, I could, I could use online surveys to question my students and let them put in their own little unique answers using their cell phones, if every kid had a cell phone. Um, I, it's until every kid has an equal access to the technology, you can't um, integrate it fully into the public school system right. because you're leaving people out. How much does Montana spend per student? I have no idea. That's something that you're going to know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to learn a lot. <laughs> there's a lot. I suspect we spend a lot of money on our students, but we don't spend it wisely. I think there's a lot of that that goes on, and I hope that does change. So, what else? I mean, you've got a pretty good life, obviously. You have two houses in Butte, because you needed a vacation That house. sounds so terrible. No, we it's need to so, qualify that. It's so great. They have this cute little house that apparently is only used for parties during Evil Knievel Day. So. No. No, no, no. We, we bought the house up by the M uh, when we were first engaged to be married. And the people who, the Hollow family, who had owned, whose dad built the house and who had owned it for four generations, didn't really have anyone else in their family that, will, that wanted to commit to, to stay in that house. And so they, they entered into an agreement with us uh, to sell the house to us. And when we went to get the loan, there was a laundry list of things that had to be done before we could get a loan to purchase it. And they... The electricity had to be updated, the garage had to be torn down, the roof had to be improved, the paint, it needed to be painted, and um, we we moved in and they agreed to let us pay $300 a month in rent off the price of the house. And they used the money that we spent in rent towards roofing materials and towards paint. And Kevin and I put the roof on ourselves, we painted the house ourselves, their family tore the garage down, they had a contracting company. And um, that family is forever my favorite family in view because they literally bent over backwards to help us buy our first home. And there was this unwritten, really even unsaid agreement that Kevin and I would stay in that house forever. We wouldn't be... They raised... Their their parents built it. All four of those kids were raised in this little three-bedroom home then the kids raised their kids in this little three-bedroom home. There was a lot of sharing of bathrooms and sharing of bedrooms involved. And they liked Kevin and I and had a feeling that we would stay there and not upgrade. So many people buy their first homes and then move to the country club. And we didn't outright promise, but it's always been our intention that we were going to stay in that house. We could have 10 kids. We'll figure it out. And it's hard when you live in such a great place and everyone wants to come visit you for all of these festivals. So this this house that we're in now is Kevin's art studio. 
and my dad comes here frequently. My sister comes here frequently. We have friends from St. Louis that'll be coming in a couple of weeks for St. Patrick's Day. And it's a chance to showcase Butte to our loved ones without having to share our bathroom. Which is, <laughs> <laughs> which is ideal. Yeah, the bathroom in our house is located in the center of the house. There's no avoiding it. So mm. it's just nice to be able to have our guests stay here. So this is the guest house. It's a... Oh, it sounds so pretentious to say it that way. Well, would you prefer the carriage house? <laughs> <laughs> it's a miner's cottage. Uh. And we're so fortunate to have it. And... Um, yeah, I love Butte so much. I guess I had to buy a vacation home in Butte. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great thing. So, um, is there anything else you want to let people know about you? Is there any, you know, stories or anything? I mean, we've covered a lot, but. We have. Um, no, I, I think that when people meet me, they get a feeling that I think they realize that I'm a truthful, authentic person. I think that. They get the feeling that I'm a Butte person, um, no matter where I was born. Um, Butte I is, feel really welcomed here and supported, yeah. Yeah, Butte is definitely a town where it's in your blood or it's not. It's and, true, yeah. And if it's there, you're here. <laughs> yeah, I just can't imagine ever having been anywhere else or ever going anywhere else as far as I'm con- uh, concerned. And we're going to make you go to Helena and, <laughs> and sit inside of the marbled walls of... Hmm, the Capitol Building. I always say Butte's for living and everywhere else is for vacationing, so... Um, If you think that the legislature is going to be a vacation, (laughs) I think you need a better vacation. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll do my best. Like I said, it's my community service project, right? Going on with the original idea that I was going to make a difference in the world to the Peace Corps, and I ended up having a little brother from Big Brothers and Big Sisters for 14 years, and now he's 20, so we're kind of done with that, and I guess I'll go see what kind of... But he's still kind of your little brother. Oh, absolutely, yeah. What? Um, anyway, well... That's cool. So you're involved with... What other community organizations? Big Brothers, Big Sisters, obviously, but... I'm the treasurer for the Butte Silverbow Democrat Central Committee. Okay. So that takes some time. Um, I'm the parliamentarian and the author of the newsletter for the Butte Teachers Union. Because I... they have a parliament? <laughs> because it's very or important is, Or is it follow. because they smoke parliament? Because <laughs> you did mention the teacher's ladder earlier, and what went through my head was the Calvin and Hobbes cartoon, <laughs> remember, where he stuck into the teacher's lounge and saw the demons and smoke and everything, and he runs out, and the teachers are like, who is that? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not familiar with that cartoon. I will find that link and put it in the show notes, because that, it, it's still one of my favorites. <laughs> Calvin, teacher's lounge cartoon. Got it. Got it. Uh, I'm the advisor of the National Honor Society, which is a service organi- organization for high school students. Very so, cool. Yeah. How many students are in that? I want to say upward of 100. Wow. Yeah, we really have. We have a large population at Butte High of students who meet the grade point average criteria and the service the service commitment. So That's very cool. It is. It's a really fun group of students to be involved with. So Butte High and then there's the Catholic High School here, mm-hmm. yes? Butte, Central High Central. School. Mm-hmm. Okay. So and Butte High is State AA. It is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Butte High is who we beat finally. That <laughs> is in high school. 
first year, actually, my freshman year was the first year that we beat Butte ever. And you're still bragging about it. Um, we beat him my senior year, too, and we've beat him <laughs> a lot since, so yes. <laughs> you know, Capitol High's got a couple of things that go for it. Not many. Football's one of them. But, you know. <laughs> um, so that seems like an excessive amount of students, though, in the Honor Society. Because I remember, I do remember, you know, this about my high school, I think we probably only had 20 in the whole high school. In the Honor Society? Uh-huh. And did you allow juniors and seniors? I don't know, because I was never a part of it. I, I I kept my grade point exactly at the level that I needed to keep mm-hmm. my insurance discount, and that's <laughs> well, these Like, kids, if the insurance discount had required a 4.0, I'm sure mm-hmm. it would have been a part of it, but they didn't. These students go above and beyond. A lot of them are student-athletes. Um, we require 10 hours of community service in the first semester and 6 hours of community service in the second. And uh-huh. it... It's not an issue because these students are doing 30 and 40, 50, 100 hours of community service through their churches and their um, different organizations that they belong to. I mean, Butte's a community. I said we're heavy on community, and that's just one example. These kids are embedded in great organizations, and they are given leadership roles because Butte believes in its youth. Awesome. So what else? What other organizations? Anything? Um, the Big Brothers and Big Sisters has kind of come to a close now, and I've, I haven't started a new match. I'm waiting to see where my life goes, if I'm going to be in Butte. Um, I was a, an American literacy volunteer for a year, um, and that's Which a great is. program. Uh, the American literacy volunteers pair up a, a person who has gone through their training with an individual, an adult, who, um, who's illiterate functionally illiterate and so and teaches that person to read and write very cool it's a great organization um so where do you find time to sleep (laughs) (laughs) i sleep a little there (laughs) i'm gonna do it while i'm young right (laughs) yeah well and not at the legislature um so i i guess that's about it i don't have anything else that i'm really curious about i'm excited for your campaign i think it'll be awesome um I know that you have a ton of support. Just just knowing that from how you announced it with the what five other people, four other people. Pat Noonan, Edie McClafferty, Eddie Zimple, and myself. Um, but in Helena, we had Jim Keene and John Sesso also announcing from Butte. So there were there were upward of oh I don't want to get the figure wrong, but almost a hundred Democrats that announced on January twelfth, just to say this is the first day that we can announce and. Darn We're it, going to we do mean it. it. Yeah, we mean business. Very cool. So, um, are you campaigning with other people, or are you really just kind of taking over your own area um, and doing it yourself? Or? I have a lot of people who are really excited to volunteer, so I definitely am not doing anything uh, by myself. I'm sorry, I wasn't clear on that. Are you campaigning with other candidates from the other districts, or are you doing, uh, are you doing like joint? functions and whatnot, or I'm, I'm sure you're being have, volunteers. Right? Yeah, the trainings have all been um, with all of the candidates together, and that's been a great opportunity to meet the other freshman legislators that I'll be serving with next year. Um, but as far as fundraising and campaigning, um, I think it's kind of a given that the Democratic candidates are all on Tester's side and rooting for him, but it's, it, there's <laughs> nothing official going on. Uh, I, I meant the other candidates for the House, with mm. you from the Senate in the area. No. But, but yeah, no, I would, assu- I would assume you're on Tester's yeah. side. I would hope you're on Tester's <laughs> side. We, we meet and 
really the support that we give each other is we ask our senior politicians, um, what do I do in this instance? And how did you deal with this when it came, when it, when it was your turn? And so we really have mentors. And then the freshmen like Eddie and myself and, and so many others across the state who are getting into this for the, for the first time, we can email and call each other, Facebook each other, and, and just have that support of all being in this together. Cool. And so speaking of which, you have a Facebook page, which mm-hmm. is facebook.com forward slash. It's, uh, a man, it's Curtis for Legislature. Curtis for Legislature. Page, yeah. Cool. And then you're not on Twitter yet. we got to get that fixed. <laughs> Um, and then you do have a website? It is Curtis for Butte. Curtis for Butte. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a delightful thing. It's easy, right? Dot com. It's, yeah, the email is Amanda at Curtis for Butte. So Very that makes cool. it easy. I have an Act Blue page. Are you familiar with Act Blue? I am actually. Um, I linked Kelson's Act Blue when we did her uh, interview uh, podcast show, the first one, which was delightful again. Thank you, Kelson. Um, so, yeah, I will definitely link that in so that people can get there. For those of you who don't know what Act Blue is, it's an organization that. Uh, has worked really hard to do accept credit card donations via the web, and the way they do it is they don't actually take a cut of it directly, and they cover the um, credit card processing fees, but they do ask for help to cover those from you. So if you're making a $20 donation, they do ask for you to cover the processing fees, and they tell you what it is, and you can opt yes or no to do that. Um, your choice. Uh, I recommend to do it because it really is a good organization, and they do a lot of good work for many, many people. So... Yeah, the percentage is 3.95%. Here's my math nerd coming out. So a person who donates $15, um, it, it costs $0.59 cents for them to do that. If they, It's it's worth it. It's okay, just I, I'm impressed that you <laughs> are able to do that because in my mind I would have been, eh, it costs 20 bucks, and that's what I worked out for. <laughs> No. no, I mean it's really it's it's worthwhile. It makes it there there are monthly donors. You can you can have a recurring contribution come out of your credit card or your bank account uh, every month or however often you'd like. So it just is a really convenient and, way. And every bit helps. If you can do a dollar, do a dollar. Yeah, it, it's it true. all makes a difference. It's true. And so I bitly that. Are you familiar with bitly? I am. Yeah, I bitly. It's a it's a uh, URL shortener, and uh, it's actually a Libya domain. Oh my! So it's a little weird. Now I'm impressed. That's why I use Jump J.MP, which is actually owned by Bitly as well. I, if you go into your settings, you can change it to a Jump setting. Okay. That way, you are not your domain registration or the domain shortening that you use isn't funding. Uh, the remains of Libya, I guess. I don't know if it's oh. a bad thing anymore. It was when Gaddafi was in charge. <laughs> I'm like, I really don't feel comfortable with that. I'll use jump. Oh, see, I've learned something every day. <laughs> yeah, it is interesting when you find like all those the the country codes are quite interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, and you find out that you know like TV is uh, Tivoli, hmm. and they were able to join the UN because of their .tv domain. Hmm. Wow. They licensed it to a registrar. It cost 50 bucks a year to get a .TV in that fund. It actually it funded their ability to get into the UN. It also funded a lot of public works projects there. So basically it became property that they were able to lease to foreign countries. You just kind of blew my mind a little bit. Isn't that cool? Yeah, it opens up a whole new world of something I've never thought of before. Well, it, and it actually brings me something. I have a completely different topic that's kind of, you know, your, it'll be kind of your area because it's something I want to change in the legislature. I'm not sure if you want to talk about it, because it might be a little bit of a gotcha, but it's the liquor licensing in this state. Because 
Um, but brief history really quick for everybody that's at home. Liquor licensing in the state of Montana was apportioned based on the population of the communities that was registered at the beginning of 19... The last time they did apportionment, I believe, it was 1950. And they didn't redo it when they did the Constitution, so they kept those numbers in place. Um, what's really crappy about that is that the populations have changed considerably in a lot of these places. Billings is considerably huger than it was. Um, Butte is considerably smaller. Um, so Butte has a bunch of what is effectively property because they can't leave the county lines. Um, Butte has a bunch of extra property that's you know very undervalued. And then places like Helena can't get a... Um, what is the complaint from my mom? It's, uh, they can't get an olive garden because they can't get a liquor license. <laughs> oh, heavens. Because it costs a million bucks to get a liquor license and it's just not profitable. And, um, I was talking to some legislators, legislators last time about, you know, we should either, we should at least do reapportionment or start thinking about how to phase it out from being a, a licensable piece of property and turn it back over to a license that the state makes money on. Because right now, if somebody sells their liquor license for a million bucks, the state gets exactly zero, hmm. which makes me crazy. <laughs> I'm like, really? yes, it shouldn't be. It's, it's a public property. I'm sorry. It should not be an individual property. It's a license. <laughs> I can't sell my driver's license. <laughs> oh, I you can't? You're not supposed to do that? Yeah, no. <laughs> Just FYI. Oh. And Big Brothers, Big Sisters, off the list. <laughs> <laughs> so it, that's one of the things that I think, you know, it, it should change because it's like we have this huge, and I won't say it's a need because, you know, obviously nobody needs to drink, but we have this huge tax revenue base that we're blocking ourselves from collecting because we won't let people have decent liquor licenses where they want to be. And if they had liquor licenses where they'd want to be, they're less likely to drive because they can walk. So, have you talked to anyone in the Tavern Association? I have, and they're against it. And the reason they're against it is because it's property. It's real property mm-hmm. at this point. It, or it's unreal property as far as I It's a piece of paper. And the big thing is is that if we drop the law from being... If we literally change to like how Texas does it, Texas does it with... We should never do anything like Texas. Okay, well... I discuss this. All right, well... <laughs> um, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. I'm sorry for interrupting. <laughs> no, I think that's great. It's your show. Um, Texas changed it from being the, the apportionment licensing to being anybody can apply for a license. You have to have a background check. It costs a certain amount every year that gets paid to the state. So it's consistent revenue for the state we have consistent revenue for the state, but it's far under the value of the actual license. Hmm. You know, if you averaged it out and bought all the licenses back and said this is what they're worth, and then just apportioned them out, we'd make more money in the first year anyway because everybody that has a, a beer and wine license could actually just do liquor. You know, we'd have stuff coming in. We'd also be able to separate, I don't know if you know this, but liquor and gaming That's are, are together. Mm-hmm. And... I look. I'm all for having a vice, but why do we have to have two? <laughs> you know, so I'm just. It's a pretty complex system. It is complex, and I don't think it has to be. I think it can be actually. I think it can be streamlined a little bit, made easier, and and not make life more dangerous. I don't think adding places to drink makes it more dangerous. I think it makes it safer because if you can drink next to your house, you're far more likely to walk to it. Mm-hmm. And what happens in a lot of our towns. Because they only have so many liquor licenses, they tend to cluster together because it's cheaper if they can get the deliveries at the same time. They don't get charged as much, that sort of stuff. You know, there's that case for it. So that's what they end up with. And because they're the only ones that have it, where they are, they know they're going to get people. Is that how it works everywhere else? Butte still has a neighborhood bar in every single neighborhood. Butte Silverboat has the highest percentage of uh, liquor licenses to people. 
because the apportionment hasn't been adjusted. Mm-hmm. And like in Billings... Yeah, we and, like that. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I would like that in the rest of the state. I mean, it's not bad to have a bar in the neighborhood. If you have a bar in the neighborhood, you're less likely to have a drunk driving through your neighborhood to get to the bar on the other side. Well, and it comes back to the sense of community. I right. mean, not everyone who goes to a bar is drinking to excess. I know my neighborhood bar is Sam's Place. It's three or four blocks from my house. And you learn a lot when you stop in there and have a beer and and go home. Right. And you're you're going in to have a beer and socialize with your neighbors. That's right. Which is important. People hold meetings there. It's it's a community center, truthfully. Right. I know someone someone else out in Montana might be thinking that calling a bar a community center is strange, but well, that's the know, reality of it. In a lot of places, the bar is the post office and the church. Yeah. <laughs> So you know those are the those are the issues that I see. Thank you for uh, joining me on the show. It was a pleasure having you. It's been really nice to see you again. I know. I never get to come over to you and go, Amanda. We're going for steaks. <laughs> <laughs> um, so for everybody listening at home, I will have links in the show notes. If you're wondering what the show notes are, you can go to the website at politicticboom.com and see the uh, episode you can actually listen to it online so you don't have to put it on your phone if you think oh I'm not listening to Kevin that long even though Amanda is lovely um, and the show notes will include links to Amanda's website her uh, Facebook not to her Twitter because we have to fix that first <sighs> I can't believe you're not on Twitter and I'm um, busy <laughs> I'm busy yeah but your students could tweet at you I'm that so would just improve your day busy. immensely I'm sure <laughs> Um, and then if you have any questions or comments, uh, be sure to leave them and hopefully we will have another show later in the year after the primary when you are primed and ready to go for the general election. I'm really looking forward to it. Thanks very much. Very cool. Thanks. Bye everyone.